problems. This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that, that helps patients with diseases. Life-saving. Life, life well, today's a great day. I'm really excited to welcome my friend, Dr. Gary Cooper. Uh, Gary is the co-founder and CEO of Reaply. Uh, it's a Chicago-based tech company that enables Fortune 500 companies, government agencies, cities, and universities to enter the circular economy through reuse. He also serves on the boards of directors of P33 Chicago, 1871. He's on the investor team at Long Jump Ventures, and he's a founding partner there. Um, before that, uh, Dr. Cooper served on the faculty at Northwestern University and uh, facilitated supply chain and performance improvement for enterprise businesses at Ernst & Young. As a result of all of his work, Dr. Cooper has received recognition on the Forbes Next 1000, Chicago Magazine's The New Power 30, 2022 LinkedIn Top Voices in the Green Economy, and Creighton's 40 under 40 lists. Dr. Cooper has also been recognized as a scholar at Google for Entrepreneurs, a 2021 Emerson Collective Dial Fellow, and one of the 100 most intriguing, I love that word, intriguing entrepreneurs in, in 2021 um, as determined by Goldman Sachs. So Dr. Cooper has also, on the academic side, published in high-impact peer-reviewed international journals, and he holds uh, a U.S. patent in that regard. Uh, he achieved his Ph.D. in neuroscience from Northwestern University and has a certificate in management from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. And then his undergrad was in math and, and chemistry from Indiana University. Um, I know that was a long uh, <laughs> story to introduce this uh, man, but you know he, he's really there. You could go on and on and talk about his background as we get things going here. But we're I'm really honored to get a chance to have this conversation with Gary today. But welcome to the show, Gary. Thanks for having me. And thanks for reading that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we kind of just jump yeah. right in and maybe, you know, for our audience, I think, you know, the words circular economy yes. and just defining Reaply and a little bit about what the company is doing. And then we'll kind of walk backwards from there and talk about how you got there. Yeah, for sure. So Reaply is actually a pretty straightforward idea. And the circular economy is one that probably people are already operating in. They just don't know about it. So the circular economy is an economy that's built on regeneration versus consumption. So the kind of economy that we think about today is one in which producers go and find something in the ground, harvest that, make something with it, and sell that to an end customer. That's And then that end customer gets done using that item, and then they throw that away. That's called a linear economy because we're taking things out of the ground and then throwing them away. The circular economy says, what if you had to stop finding things in the ground by using the things that we've already harvested again, again, and again. So this concept of reuse and recycling. And so um, that's kind of what the circular economy is, is about a $5 trillion global opportunity. And it's super critically important for our fight against climate change, which I can talk about a little later. Um, how that applies to Reapley. One of the big problems with the circular economy is there isn't any technology. So what Reapley is doing at the very core of our mission is to build a technology that undergirds the circular economy. Specifically, what we're doing today is really building technology for reuse. 
So if anyone's had their kind of elementary education around sustainability, reduce, reuse, recycling. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think I was just reviewing that with my son. Right, uh, exactly. In school earlier this week as we kick off the year. Exactly. We learned that lesson at your son's age, but I think we all grow up into a world where we hear things like recycling and then we think we're done. So what Reapley does is build technology to help large organizations and systems with reuse, reuse being the keystone of the circular economy. That's great. And so diving a little bit deeper around the Mm -hmm. technology and how that's enabling these Mm -hmm. uh, organizations uh, reuse in in, in an efficient way, I would imagine. Yeah. So we um, we got our start in the lab. So, yeah, I'm a Ph.D. nerd, like, you know, probably many of the listeners. So you are a lab rat. I'm a lab rat. You started as a lab rat, I should say. I spent, ooh, Lord, maybe 12, 13 years in a lab, you know, first a reproductive cancer lab, then uh, organic chemistry lab and then. During my PhD and postdoc, mostly in an electrophysiology lab, thinking about how do we, you know, cure and solve and disease modify idiopathic Parkinson's disease. And in that experience, I happened to be in a very well-funded lab, which means that we had lots of stuff, right? You know, trying out different, you know, which antibody works for this experiment? I don't know. Let's buy all of them, um, all the way to really cool equipment. And what I noticed when I would go to lunch with some of my graduate student friends in other laboratories that were smaller and less funded, um, they didn't have that same kind of budget. They didn't have those same type of access to resources. So back in my Northwestern days, I kept thinking, well, why can't we just share the stuff that we're not using with other labs who might need it? Um, It's not ours anyway, right? And so that was actually the DNA of which Reapy was built on. So we we started thinking about how do we how we have labs and one you know part of the building share the things that they don't need with laboratories in the other part of the building, and that became the first kind of MVP or minimal valuable product that we built out at Reapy, which is to create sharing. I wasn't thinking about sustainability. I wasn't thinking about circular economy at the time. I was just thinking about like how can smaller labs, you know work at the same level of resource, um, resource access as kind of bigger labs. And when we, um, we started working at Northwestern and when we did our initial proof of concept, I learned that, oh, there was also an, um, these items get end of life within an organization, within that Northwestern. So for instance, hey, I no longer need this. Do you need it? No. Do you need it? No. Actually, no one at Northwestern needs it. So then what happens? So Reapley tries to really solve both of those things. It's first, how can we reuse things internally as much as we possibly can, breaking down silos that are geographically bound, or I'm in the chemistry department, you're in biology, none of us knows what we both have. Um, But then once the organization knows what it has and no one wants those things anymore, they can't put them to good use, then Reapley finds happy homes outside that organization in the community, whether that be other universities, whether that be places like here, Portal, whether that be... um, uh, recyclers, uh, nonprofits who can take them from you. And then um, that all happens through our platform. And then we measure all the impact. And so it started in the university, but now we do this, my goodness, from Google to Microsoft to the NIH to a lot of universities. So it's kind of morphed itself. That's amazing. So, so many different modalities gone mm-hmm. well beyond the lab. Absolutely. And so many different applications. Which Did I never first saw. I was just going to ask you, I mean, it was this, <laughs> I, it sounds like you kind of just backed your way into it. And I yes. mean, I'm just interested in kind of like focusing on that, uh, 
that transition from the lab. I mean, you're you're at, you're at the bench for a lot yes. of years doing some yes. really detailed stuff. Yes. And all of a sudden, uh, you kind of take take a right turn. What, what exactly. was what what was that like? And transitioning to kind of uh, what what obviously is uh, a very motivating uh, activity to kind of get you to decide to you know go all in full time. But walk me through that that analysis. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny. I'm yeah. laughing thinking about it. <laughs> Because if you look at it in retrospect, you're like, here's a scientist. I knew a couple things about how scientists use materials and how they might share them. And now we're like managing furniture for Google. Like, how does that, you know, how does that transition happen? Mm-hmm. So, but it was decently actually very organic. So we uh, uh, said, hey, we're going to focus on universities. And in universities, we're going to focus in the laboratory, the wet labs. So we did that, and we did our proof of concept at Northwestern. We actually published the results in Nature. So Nature got wind of this. There was a kind of similar article of like, you know, how to um, being green gets you green. I think was the title of it. Hmm. And so then we, you know, we started working with U Chicago and, and Emory and MIT and Washington University in St. Louis, and so it was working. You know, um, and I'm forgetting some universities. So if I forgot your name, is I'm not being exhaustive <laughs> with that list. Um, but then what happened is one of my uh, fellow PhD mates um, who, had, who left uh, in his postdoc went to McKinsey, then went to Google, and we just kind of kept up. He had mentioned to me that one of the folks at Google was looking for a tool just like Reaply. He was happy, happened to be in a staff meeting and someone was saying, hey, we have a warehouse of stuff. People keep buying the stuff that's in the warehouse. Does anyone on your team know what's in the warehouse? And then he was in that meeting where they're like, well, how will we know what's in the warehouse? I know a guy. I know a guy who's building a startup who might happen. So yeah. long story short, he made that connection. Google became our first corporate account. So at that time, we'd only been working with universities and yeah. again, just in the laboratory uh-huh. space. Uh-huh. So then once we knew like, oh, wow, Google you know, the big tech giant wants to use them. At that point, we were a three-person startup. You know, we're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, once they use our software, we knew that we had something for sure that was beyond the laboratory and yeah. the university use cases. Yeah, a real platform. Yeah, exactly. A, a whole platform, exactly, yeah. in the true sense of that right, word. Right, right. We did some things locally. So then we I did the Google for Entrepreneurs, now called Google for Startups uh, program. We did Techstars here in Chicago, um, and then we did 1871, had an inaugural accelerator program called AMP, Advanced Member Program. We did all of those in 2018, and so we had Google as a customer. We do these kind of really good accelerators, and what we kind of got was the confidence, the network, the playbook, if you will, to really just go into the enterprise. And as we got into the enterprise, we started learning that the everyday item the, the chair, the desk, the building infrastructure, the doors, all of that was actually even more interesting than the very peculiar molecules or pieces of equipment that you might find in a wet lab or an engineering lab. Yeah. So we just followed the market. Yeah. And as it turns out, this has been a whole education for me, the things that we find on tables and chairs, like those items actually are some of the most carbon-latent Material. So when companies are talking about we want to re- go to net zero or we're going to have sustainable procurement, um, 
they should actually be thinking about the space called the built environment or the environment that humans have built, that it would be buildings. We kind of extend that definition at Reapley to interiors, so like couches and chairs and tables. Okay. But the idea is if we can get a handle on reusing built environment material, um, every single organization has it, then we go a long way to the fight against um, global GHG emissions. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's amazing. I mean, and when you think about then the just the rapid acceleration, you know, realizing, you know, it has applications. This is a platform. That's right. Now you're kind of developing um, at, at warp speed mm-hmm. um, and now realizing that not only does it have, you know, the impact from a kind of commerce uh, and efficiency uh, perspective as almost as a, as a circular exchange in a way, but now the impact on the carbon footprint and um, carbon reduction. We were the first for markets to even put a carbon calculator in a, in a reuse program so that, because before reuse had just been something around like landfill avoidance, Mm -hmm. like, Hey, okay, we're going to reuse this. We're not going to throw it away. And of course there is methane release from long-term landfilling methane being, you know, a very abundant greenhouse gas. But the, you know, I think if you ever, if you woke up and thought about the climate fight today, everyone's talking about CO2. And so we always knew, I mean, everyone knows that the biggest part portions of global CO2 emissions comes from how we make things. Uh, Bill Gates just, uh, not just published, but this year he he put out a book called um, um, kind of detailing the climate fight. And one of the chapters is about um, the industrial revolution. And it just turns out that 40% of global GHG comes from making things and transporting them. So the question is, or the, the point is, if you can make less things and just reuse the things that we already have, you can reduce the biggest, it's not the electric grid, it's not cows, it's how we making things, making plastic, making wood, um, hurts us so much. And so it's just been such a learning experience to go from the laboratory and really be thinking about how do we get more experiments out? How do we reduce the cost of, of, of um, experimentation? And how do we do it not waiting on two weeks for your order to come in mm-hmm. or three weeks? You know, sometimes you have very time sensitive experiments. Sure. Yeah. You can't, you run out of this thing and you can't wait. So that was my use case, mm-hmm. you know, seven years ago. And now it's like, how do we, you know, how do you help you reduce your costs on furniture by 25%. Right. Because if we can do that, we help you reduce your carbon and your waste by almost the same amount. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, it, it profound. And um, when you when you kind of step back and think about what you're doing now, at the core of a lot of this, I mean, you have a really interesting background mm-hmm. with so many different converging interests and skills. Yes. When you think about what you're doing as CEO of Reapley yes. and building a business, that yes. alone is a very challenging endeavor. That's and I right. want to get to scale in a minute because it seems like the platform is really kind of imminently scalable. Yes. It's a large, growing, total yes. addressable market. Yes. But but I, that's the business kind of mm-hmm. vector. But then, you know, you, you began your career and you were educated as mm-hmm. a scientist mm-hmm. and, and the, your product is, is mm-hmm. still very scientific. That's right. In nature and in, 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 in like many, many, many different ways. Yes. Special thanks to our sponsors, World Business Chicago. Connect with World Business Chicago, the city's economic development agency, and discover more about the city's vibrant life science ecosystem. From Chicago's global universities and research institutions to its diverse pipeline of skilled talent and vibrant neighborhoods, as well as its cutting edge lab and office space, Chicago has the fuel for your company's success. There's no better place to build a life science company than in Chicago.
maybe you could just talk for the audience a little bit about like what got you excited about science in the first place. Mm -hmm. I mean, math and chemistry and, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes those are scary words for, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about, you know, the next generation of students coming through. And, you know, one of the goals we have on this show is Mm -hmm. to try to demystify science and biotechnology and invite others that really should be part Mm -hmm. of that, that community and that, that, that industry, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're nervous about, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, what, what does that involve? What does it entail? I'm just really interested in kind of your path and what led you into the sciences in the first place. You know, some of the same things that led me into starting the startup and, um, are exactly the same things that led me into the science. And this is one of the reasons why I try to go around and talk to, you know, PhD scientists or MD PhD scientists and say, you might think about starting a company, you know, whatever that company is. But uh, for me, um, the first thing is, again, I didn't even know this word, but experimentation. I remember being six and, you know, asking my mother, like, specifically, how do plants get food? And she was like, whoa, you know, yeah. I don't know. What do you, how do you think that might work? You know, you know, I think I was in first grade or hadn't started first grade. And so she was like, well, let's do some experiments. And so she went and got some plants, some just normal household plants, and we had some hypotheses, right? We said, well, maybe it's water. So we watered a couple and watered a couple we didn't water. Maybe it's sun. We put some in the sun, some in not. And it turns out I won the first grade scientific fair on figuring out how to, like literally, how do plants get fed? And that just got me really interested in kind of really two things that I think are core to why I like my job. One, thinking about a problem and thinking about the way to like get to the guts of it. Like what's undergirding here, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in the system, mm-hmm. really to kind of like understand it and break it apart and then make some assumptions about how it could be better. The second is ownership. The, the idea that, hey, I can go off and I can you know, go in the basement and study this thing. And then I go to a Gordon conference or your, your audience goes to a Gordon conference and talks to potentially people who are Nobel laureates about the thing they're working on. And they're the owner of that science. They're probably the world's leading expert on those sets of experiments. So I really love this idea of owning problems, you know, and really trying to go after that and that was true in science, um, and that it's definitely true in the startup landscape. No, that's that's interesting, and you know, as as many great leaders who have emerged, uh, you know, influenced by their mother early in the path. Mm-hmm. I've you know talked to other folks that you know got a chemistry set early mm-hmm. on from their mom, and um, it, it, maybe in addition to, or maybe even discussing a little bit more uh, uh, fully. Were there any standout kind of influencers along your journey early on, even today, mm-hmm. that have helped you follow? It, it can be a lonely path, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're taking risk, you're building something, you're creating yes. always in what you do. Uh, any any uh, conversations that you can kind of share around influencers that have yeah. helped kind of tip you in a direction that has led you here? Yeah, there there are personal ones and there are public figures. So, like you know, some of the I mentioned my mother already. Um, one of the ones, and I've talked about a lot in some of the circuits that I do, is my grandmother, her mother. So my grandmother's, she'll actually be 96 uh, next week. And um, she, you know, single mother, had 19 children, um, 10 in one marriage, nine in another. And about half of those have advanced degrees. Wow. She herself has a third grade education. 
And I wrote to, uh, I'm friends with folks at the Obama Foundation, and she's just a lover of the president. So I wrote to them and the president sent her a very nice note, handwritten note uh, a couple weeks ago. And oh she my was God. super excited about oh, that. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so she would definitely be one. And I think her message has always been, especially as a, again, black woman with 19 children who grew up in Jim Crow South, has always been do, don't stop. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Yeah. You know, kind of positive affirmation. Mm-hmm. And it sounds Simple, but like, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people will verify this, but when you're going through a PhD program and you're not sure if you're going to graduate, you're not sure if the science is going to work out, you need that. Yeah. Um, when you then go from the graduate program, more or less, into your first business job at a big multinational consulting audit firm, you need that. When you start a company and you have no idea what you're doing, yeah. you need that. Yes. Yes. Um, the other, you know, so there are folks like that. You know, I had a very seminal. And you, um, and you probably think about that even now today, just your absolutely. grandmother. And you're like, at the time, she's giving you that advice yes. and saying, keep going. You're not really digging into and thinking yes. about it. Today, you're probably just in awe of, look yes. look at what she accomplished I've and the impact she's had. Since I left, my, since I left um, undergrad. I've talked to her every Tuesday for about from between 4.30 and 5.30, somewhere in there. It's yeah. been a permanent meeting on my calendar, no matter if I was at Northwestern, at EY, yeah. or at Replay. So I talked to her yeah. almost like a board member. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. um, she's like a personal board Chairman member. Chairman of the board. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I think about, you know, I had a, an amazing chemistry teacher at, at IU who I had for Gen Chem and for Organic Chem. And she, her name is Catherine Reck. People who've gone to IU will know Catherine Reck. Um, she was an amazing organic chemistry teacher. And that kind of opened my world to like, oh, my God, I love organic chemistry. This is so cool. It was like cooking with chemicals. Um, and I remember I was so poor. I was so poor leaving undergrad. And, and I wanted to come up to, to Northwestern for an interview and to kind of visit the school because I, you know, this is my life. I want to go visit Chicago. I didn't have any money, and I remember she gave me a couple hundred bucks to get on the train to get a hotel. I just thought, wow, and didn't talk for her to her. She followed me on Facebook for seven eight years. Yeah. Then she shows up to my PhD defense. Oh my god. You know, and it just like almost made me cry in yeah. the moment. Um, That's like your seed capital. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then there are people like, you know, as a kid, like I loved watching Bill Nye, Science Guy, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson now now these days. Um, you know, people who have popularized knowing things and also not knowing things and being, being um, confident and secure in saying, I don't know that, but here's how I would go about answering that. Mm-hmm. So there have been kind of, you know, that's kind of like the the gradient of, you know, folks from my grandmother all the way to, you know, folks who who laud skepticism and who who laud, you know, inquiry and curiosity. Yeah. And swimming upstream and not being afraid to swim. Upstream. Exactly. No. And maybe just taking, you know, uh, a step forward on that on that point. I mean. You started Reaply, and mm-hmm. maybe just uh, going back to the beginning again to around what were some of the um, early 
obstacles you had to get going there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a selling process too, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's yes. a lot of no's in your face, yes. I'm sure. Um, yes. Now, in your case, it seems like maybe you didn't go out and right. um, you'll have to uh, inform, but yeah. you know, it sounded like you kind of went to the market first mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as opposed to going to investors yeah. or maybe you've done both. But maybe yeah. you could talk a little bit about yeah. that anxiety yes. uh, and, and, and the fortitude you had to kind of just kind of swim through it. it it's like, um, you know, I remember the first quarter of when you start your graduate program. I don't remember, you know, maybe half of the things between that and, and, and writing my thesis, but I definitely remember the first quarter. I definitely remember starting the company. I probably won't ever forget it because it's scarring. Mm-hmm. Um, my journey was, I so I got into, I got into consulting, was doing pretty well at that, and I had this idea as I said since uh, Northwestern. So I've been working on it, and had recruited a couple friends to help me build it who were uh, web developers, and so I was there, and I thought, how do I go from consulting with a couple of friends who are going to be co-founders to a company? So. Just like lab, you know, just like research or experimentation, I thought, let me do some research. So I reached out to folks who had my same journey, who had done a PhD, who had gone to consulting, who had started a company and just DM them on LinkedIn. And a couple of them were like, hey, yeah, Gary, I'll talk to you. And almost all of them said, hey, here's my advice. Don't leave EY or your consult, your date job until you have a customer. That's like my advice to you. Both of them independently said that. So, okay. So we essentially get a um, kind of verbal agreement going with Northwestern. I use that to try to raise $185,000 to start Reaply. So um, we had done a calculation that we needed about $250,000 to run the business for about 18 months. And we had some milestones. We were going to build out an MVP. We're going to get one customer, one contract. And we're going to do, uh, leading up to that one proof of concept. And so um, I, for nine and a half months, you know, I was working at EY. I was in Belgium a lot working on um, some some really cool stuff with J&J. But I was also, like, fundraising at the same time in Chicago. And I was able to raise 185 we got this verbal from Northwestern, and I just told my two guys, my team, we've made commitments. We have people's money. I don't think it's right that we're working full-time jobs. So November 1 of 2016, we left um, our jobs and started our first full day. I wonder if you know what time of day it was that day. Um, it, was, it was exactly at 8.45 a.m., actually. That's great. Um, and, and the story is interesting because we come into... We come in, they, the, my founder, so my, the, the office was at my house. Mm-hmm. So I had kind of created a space with four desks. My, I slept in the corner. I completely, you know, I was like living the startup life. Come up the stairs. I checked my email. And I got, a, I got an email from the head of procurement at Northwestern saying, hey, Gary, we're not going to go at Reapley. And as, the, as my co-founder sat down, I said, hey, guys, you know, welcome to the company. We've lost our only customer. <laughs> <laughs> that was the start. It's a way to kick, kick things off. Might as well get used to it, yeah. though, right? Exactly. <laughs> Good kick in the stomach, and what yes. are you going to do next, right? So, I, yeah, and, you know, and I think but there's. I, I'm yeah. a big. I didn't mean to cut off yeah. your words, but I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. I mean, like, I, I, I think that is very wise advice to say: mm-hmm. don't leave until you kind of 
You mm-hmm. have everything set up on the other Absolutely. side. But there's there's a big part of my experience that has always been the most successful entrepreneurs are ones that they cut the ties. They, That's right. They burn the boats. To take the they got to go all in. Mm-hmm. You're back to the wall. That's right. And every time you do that, you then have to find the way forward. That's right. If it's a hobby, if it's something you're doing on the side, there's always Never something works. more comfortable to kind of go back to. And so you're kind of only half baked. And, no, and again, I'm, there's been, I'm sure, many, many absolutely. examples of people who have done it the other way. Yes. But I, my observations are, because um, so much of it is about co- really just immersion and commitment yes. in the beginning. Well, and I think, um, well, I always think that the, or say, that the hardest part of starting is starting is exactly what you're just saying. And it's, and I always tell people to micro start, like write it down, do some research on the business idea, who would fund it, who would be the customer, why would they buy, you know, all these things. But at some point when you start, and I think when you've made some commitment, whether it be to an investor, to a customer, to an early stage employee, you the, presumably in the way that I'm speaking, you being the CEO founder, have a responsibility, I think, to to that commitment mm-hmm. of your own commitment. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that of course there are seemingly circumstances, you know, some of the work that I try to do at Long Jump is to try to get entrepreneurs who are maybe older or less financially healthy to be able to take that long jump um, in starting a company. But there is a reality, I think, that the vast majority of successful companies, especially first-time founded companies, have to start with your full attention. Um, Because I can say the one thing that's very hard is energy management, is hearing all the no's, getting up the next day, doing all the things you have to do personally, and then being the face of the company, thinking about the next year while trying to execute in the quarter, while trying to deal with today's madness. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think it's really hard to, at the very beginning where the business is most fragile and precious, to have be distracted by something else full time. No, that's uh, well stated and, and agreed. What if you look at kind of uh, present day, uh, kind of back to scaling? What mm-hmm. are what are some of the opportunities that you see as you build Reaply mm-hmm. um, in this in this new environment? Mm-hmm. As we think about you know what's possible, mm-hmm. but some of the fundamentals of building a team, building mm-hmm. a culture. Mm-hmm you know, remain, remain core to mm-hmm. a, a, a successful venture. Any mm-hmm. comments around how you're able to kind of maintain that edgy uh, startup feel? And I know you're still yes. developing and still yes. starting in many ways, still yes. a very young company, but, you know, you've made it further downstream as well. And you're kind of in, in more of a scaling phase. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you kind of, how, how do you match, you know, the, the, the larger team, energy to that smaller team energy and right. and try to keep consistency as you go through these different chapters of the evolution of the company. Yeah, I think it's it's actually one of the two things I think about every day. I, I tell my senior team, I think I have two thoughts that I that I think about when I go to sleep, that I wake up in the shower and I keep working on them. And one of them is this. How do you grow and maintain the magic? Mm-hmm. Um so it's a question that I admittedly is like a science thing I'm, I'm still working on. But the things that I do know as I sit here today, first, you have to have purpose. You, you know, whether that's your purpose is we make the best T-shirts. Um, at Reaply, our purpose is, is to rid the world of working world of waste. Waste is a human construct. It's not something observed in nature. Um, 
So I think if you have a purpose, it brings everyone to that. It, it's a centering thing. And on the worst days in the company, you can go back to it. The second, I think, is you have to have the right people. Um, we did, we do, and did a lot of work on the first sets of hires. Because whether those first sets of hires are going to management, senior management, C-suite, which is a great trajectory for the first couple hires, or maybe not, and they're just around in the company, they are a part of the culture and the value structure. So when someone net new comes to the company and they see this person here who's been here for three years, however you want to write it or not, they're going to think that person represents the company. So we really try to get hiring right, especially at the earliest stages, whether this person has C-suite trajectory or whether or not. And then I think the last thing is, and we're, and we're doing this now, is try to make small pods, cohorts in within big team structures and give them agency and give them voice and give them resources and budget. So for instance, one you know, at Reaply, I could say, hey, we have a product team. Well, we have multiple facets of our product. So maybe search is one facet, maybe loading, you know, loading an asset on our platform is one facet, maybe reporting all the carbon reporting. Maybe that's one aspect. So not everyone on the product team needs to be working on search. Right. And so if you and, and this is kind of taken from um, from Twilo CEO who wrote a book about this and how he grew Twilo is you actually form these very independently um, authorized kind of pods. So it's not your head of product that's making every product decision. It's some product manager who's leading this small group of really cool um, uh, and, and great uh, professionals who think about that problem more than anyone in the entire company. So they're the ones who are best able to make a business decision around it. So those are some of the aspects. But, you know, um, it's hard. You know, we, we grew from about 18 at the beginning of last year to now 60 and, you know, on our current trajectory, uh, by the end of next year, we'll be over 100, around 100, or over 100. And so my answer will probably have a fourth or fifth bullet if you invite me back. Next <laughs> Absolutely. We'll be following out. your track. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant work in process, too. And that is also the life of the entrepreneur is you're yes. always thinking about tomorrow. Yes. Like you were talking about, you're in the shower. You're always yes. thinking, working on the yes. problem, even though, again, if you look in hindsight, you've made tremendous progress. You've, yes. you've created some great outcomes. And even if it all stopped, you've been a major success. That's but you're right. always thinking about tomorrow and tomorrow. how to do that. And I think kind of back to the evolution of the company too and kind of maintaining that culture and those core values uh and that energy mm-hmm. um I, I like the way you're thinking about it almost uh, uh brought back to mind your description of when you're running the experiments mm-hmm. uh with your mom mm-hmm. where you talk about ownership mm-hmm. of, the, of the problem ownership right. of the science well in a way you're kind of empowering those teams that's to right. have ownership of the exactly. of the problem and so that's experiments yeah that's that's really cool and and because I, I you know having kind of been through that those waves mm-hmm. a, a few times myself um it, it really is one of the one of the bigger challenges i think to any great company kind of breaking out and continuing to to deliver on the in- initial promise mm-hmm. but do it in different ways and different products and so on and so forth but that hundredth employee their expectation mm-hmm. of Reaply when they join mm-hmm. is very different from employee totally. number 10 you know and, totally. and and so trying to continue to evolve to be attractive yes. to that hundredth employee and how they would fit and come I, out with the same kind of energy I I sometimes still have pretty good ideas 
at replay, but I'm noticing I don't have the best ideas anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great. Yeah. Right. And so really what I am is I call it an editor. Oh, here's someone's amazing idea. And I'm like, Oh, change just that thing. Yeah. Versus I have every idea. And the only way you can get there, I think is to give people that agency, give them that space to make mistakes. Um, but also to achieve and not be micromanaging. And I think that's one of the, the, in the lab structure that I was in, and I, I try to run Reapy a little bit like a lab, is, you know, postdocs and senior graduate students, you're given a project, right? And you're going to go off and do experiments and high, high, high hypothesis. You're going to have a budget, all those different things. You're going to apply for grants. You're running a pod in that lab. And so I try to use that model and just say, hey, I'm going to support you. I'm going to be here to kind of edit the things that you're doing. But really, you're leading this. Yeah. Yeah. There's no one behind me or yeah. behind you. To, yeah. to, and I think that ownership makes every person a founder in your company. And so one of the key things that we try to do at Reapley is try to figure out how do we ever get everyone to feel like a founder? And we think it's a part of that ownership portion. Yeah. And um, just what struck me about that description of kind of where you are as a company right mm -hmm. now, too. It's a very exciting time because what I sense in you is it's gone beyond you as the person. Yes. Uh, it's got a life of its own. It's and I mean, yes. that's amazing. I mean, that's it's a sense of in many ways, a sense of uh, relief, mm -hmm. probably. Um, but uh, certainly anxiety, too, because mm -hmm. there's new new territory and, you know, you have uh, there, there's new risks that mm -hmm. are introduced to the company. But I think that's an interesting uh, part of the entrepreneurial story too. Absolutely. In the beginning, it is so personal. You are one yes. with the company. It is, yes. it's all about you. And yes. if it's not about you, uh, those early believers, it's all kind of around you. You are the That's idea, right. you are the company, but companies, uh, successful, scalable entrepreneurs are ones that can kind of grow and evolve with the company. You're, you're right. doing that in the sense that Reaply is a company. That's it's right. not just you anymore. That's so, right. And, yeah. I, and I think, you know, some founders struggle with that at the very beginning of the journey because then the company not doing well, the company failing feels so deeply personal Yeah, yeah. when it's not them failing. Right. It's, you know, something happened in, in the business that couldn't move forward. Yeah. But you're right. Like, you know, I am Reaply. Reaply was me. And now it's like Reaply is Connie and Reaply is Gar yes. and Reaply is Peter and yes. Reaply is Tyler. Yeah. Reaply is all these other people and colors and diverse backgrounds and it's much in our investors and our customers, you know? And so now I'm just, I call myself their biggest cheerleader. Mm -hmm. I'm just the one who waves our flag, who um, hears the hard news mm -hmm. um, and has to make the hard decisions. And I try my best to recruit and retain the most brilliant people because the problem that we're trying to solve is massive and has immense global import. So, but I'm no longer you know, replay. And I will literally, I have seen, uh, or in fact, I have given a talk at 1871 here in Chicago and got done with the talk. And someone walks up to me and goes, Hey Gary, I'm so excited to work at replay. And I looked this, this person right in their face. I'm like, I don't know you. And this is scary. Hi, I'm Gary. I don't know you. <laughs> and and she said, no, no, I just got hired. You wouldn't have known me. Um, this person hired me. And I'll go, oh, okay. And I was just flat-footed. Yeah. And that was one of the indicators. Because every other time, I knew every candidate sure. that we had interviewed. Sure. I've seen every resume. And that was one of the times where I realized, like, this isn't about me anymore. And it's not about my personal success. It's about the success of our mission. And, um, and all these amazing people are joining. And, you know, now I'll see people 
pictures of repeat t-shirts on social media and won't know the person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll see people in the, in the, in the uh, airport with a repeat t-shirt and I just will smile at yeah, that. That's gotta be incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Just, just, just even that, even, even seeing that, that image. Well, you know, as we, as we wind down, I, I kind of want to get to um, one of the points you touched on or just briefly touched on was kind of building your team. And you talked about diversity mm-hmm. and, and continuing to kind of, um, um, really leverage diversity. Mm-hmm. You know, I truly believe diversity is a driver of mm-hmm. innovation. Absolutely. And diversity of all kinds, you know, whether it's uh, ethnic diversity, mm-hmm. religious diversity, gender mm-hmm. diversity. Yes. But even like different uh, knowledge bases, mm-hmm. you know, math and chemistry. And that's where the innovation happens at mm-hmm. the interface of all those diverse inputs. Um, one of the things that I think that uh, biotechnology industry uh, is struggling with right now is it continues to try to scale itself. We, mm-hmm. we keep hearing the word the biocentury and mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. important breakthroughs are happening in therapeutics. Um, you know, CAR T, you know, right. cu- curing uh, uh, certain types of leukemia. I mean, just mm-hmm. unheard of, incurable disease diseases, melanoma with mm-hmm. checkpoint inhibitors, um, all based on breakthrough science. We hear a lot about coming out of the Human Genome Project several decades ago, and now we're hearing more about uh, things like gene editing and, right. and CRISPR and all those all those uh, scientific terms. And, and I think that as you move now toward a, a world that is more uh, biologically driven, mm-hmm. maybe a little less, uh, certainly will continue around... Um, you know, conventional chemistry and medicinal mm-hmm. chemistry, those they'll continue to power great right. medicines going forward. But this introduction of um, biotherapeutics, cell therapy, gene therapy um, to, to cure these incurable diseases, mm-hmm. to make those medicines at scale, biomanufacturing has become a constraint. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the workforce around being able to scale these important medicines um, is not, it's not fully prepared. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, there's a real opportunity Mm-hmm. To draw in mm-hmm. a whole new workforce. That's right. Um, and and on the other, uh, how we go about that, mm-hmm. I think it it will will be really uh, how how we design the way to make sure that that's as, as inclusive as possible mm-hmm. will be pretty critical. So yes. that's a little bit about like the biotech yeah. journey and. Um, you know, and and one of the things that I yearn for is watching more models and and, and new developments mm-hmm. that welcome you know a more mm-hmm. diverse workforce um, into into biotech. Maybe you could share a little bit about yeah. what you're finding and any insights or ideas yeah. around how you know an industry, a company, a, a team yeah. can can really benefit from and leverage that diversity. Yeah. So maybe first an idea to that exact point in, on the bio space, and I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that we're doing at Replay. Um, around diversity. So one of the really cool things I keep saying, and I, and I have, you know, a gaggle of about 10 um, African-American CEOs in the climate space, and we kind of say the same thing, which is the green economy, the green movement shouldn't be green. It should be white. It should be, it should be black. It should be multicolored. This is the, the, the biggest opportunity, to, to, your, to your point, in bringing everyone into the economy. In fact, that's another one of the pillars and hopes of the circular economy, that it's more inclusive. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that that happened is with a company called Block, BL, BLOC uh, Power, in Block Power in New York, by a guy named Donnell Baird. And what they do is their they're kind of one-liner is making every building a Tesla. So essentially what they're doing in Ithaca, uh, New York, and in New York City is they are putting solar panels on every single building to make those buildings a battery, essentially, and for that to be able to go into the grid, right, into green. That in, Now, who, what workforce can do that? Mm-hmm. 
So with Don Elda, a black man himself, he served in the Obama administration. He goes and he gets a big investment from one of my investors, Microsoft's Climate Innovation Fund, and from the city of New York. And he is training, I forget the numbers now, five, 600 African-American folks who didn't even have a job to figure out how to install solar panels. That's his entire workforce. So it's both greening these cities, um, but it's also giving people a skill that they will certainly need and be needed in installing solar panels. Right. So if I map block powers model, it'd be a good business idea to figure out how do we have manufacturing as a skill set that you can go and learn, so that, uh, biomanufacturing rather, so that the companies that you're talking about could leverage these diverse workforces to manufacture at scale when we get these breakthrough therapies. Yeah. So I think there are some lessons there. At Reapley, I think it. I think there's, um, <laughs> I've written so much and talked so much about DEI, especially after the unfortunate um, death of, of Mr. George Floyd. I think it's really simple, and I know people say this all the time. I think it's about hire and wire. So invest in people of color, hire people of color. And on the hire side, I think you got to hire into your C-suite and executive seats. And the reason I say that isn't just because of what it looks like to the current staff or what it looks like to the media. Those are great quick wins, and you should get those quick wins. But it's a signal to the people looking up. It's a signal to say, aha, I see there's a person who looks like me, whose name sounds like mine, whose background or their childhood is like mine, who is doing something I never thought I could do. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to now go apply for that chemistry course, mm -hmm. or I'm going to go continue to do chemistry as a degree program. Yeah. And I cannot tell you one of the things I would have never thought about when I start Reapley is how many people come up to me in conferences, DM me on LinkedIn, DM me on t Twitter, who are black, who are male, who are female, who, who've come from a, a city like I've come from and say, you inspire me. And I'm just thinking like, I'm just trying to figure out my company. You know, you know, yeah. I wanted to work, it might die. Right, right. And so I think <laughs> um, the more that we can hire and make visible these amazing professionals in the, in the BIPOC community, it's not going to just have that immediate benefit kind of towards a company's mission. It's going to have this long-term yeah. benefit. Yeah. It really inspires another generation. It's into the DNA and the decision-making exactly. and the problems that those companies go That's and right. solve. Exactly. They're different from the, through the lens yes. of the people at the top of those organizations And so well. what we try to do at Reapley, to your, your earlier point, is think of this word diversity as holistically not just about race and gender. But if we're trying to build a technology to undergird a new economy, a different economy, it has to take into effect all the economies. So we have mothers, we have people who you know are ten years my junior and fifteen years my senior. We have um, folks who 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 serve time. We you know the whole game. We have architects. We have, I mean, the whole game scientists. Yes. And I think for us, it's critically important to what we're doing, both to have those people operating in the company, but to see that at the leadership level. So if you look at our leadership at Reapley, and again, we, we don't have like some stats or some quotas that we're trying to hit. We hire the best person who's applied for the job, but we have diversity through our board, through our cap table, and through our C-suite, and through our company. I'm really proud of that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's outstanding. I'm proud of you, too. <laughs> uh, we, we look up to you. Um, it, it maybe just in closing, more of a fun question, that mm -hmm. is, um, can you name 
uh, a piece of equipment that was maybe the, the uh, <laughs> strangest piece of equipment that you've seen uh, pass through the, oh, the, uh, the the exchange. Very interesting. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm getting into trouble with this, but as, as I say in startup land, you you, uh, you 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 ask for forgiveness and not for permission, right? <laughs> right. So um, so I remember early days at Google. There was on our platform. There was I forget ten football fields long, marine grade, ultra thin solar panels. Okay. So imagine a roll of solar panels. That is 10 football fields long, ultra thin and marine grade. We don't know what Google was do- doing with them. Yeah. But they're on our platform. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, that's, and then I'd, I'm I'd, sure I'm going to be sending I'd, an email yeah, no, to someone at exactly Google. Exactly. Like, right, yeah. Well, if we need to strike it from the record, we could easily do that. It's all editable in, in retrospect. We'll keep it in, in yeah, house. Exactly. The real question is uh, who was on the other side? If it was on the other side of that trade, where was it going? Uh, that I actually can't remember. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. Hey, well, Gary, it's been a real privilege and honor to talk to you, and um, you're you're doing great things. Thank um, you. And, and I'm inspired, you know, listening to you, and I'm learning from you, and I look forward to you know continue to build our friendship. Yeah. And uh, best wishes to you as you keep going. Yeah, and, and all I'll say is thanks. One, one, thank you, and I and I love Portal, and I and I love how this decreases the barrier for people in Chicago and in other areas that you're you're um, expanding to to do science. Science gets us places. That's why I started uh, my journey in science. That's why I started Reaply mm-hmm. so that we could do more experiments. So I'm super excited to be here and be a part of this. And I would just say out to all my scientists, I will be publishing an article in Nature about how we as scientists start to track our own carbon emissions. And so look out for that. That's great. Any uh, time frame on that or just you don't really um, know? Hopefully, hopefully. I'd love to help you promote that. Hopefully that it goes to uh, hopefully Q1 of next year. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's a real, I mean, that's, that's amazing. Great work. Yeah. Cool. All right, Gary. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guests today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labratsdounicorns.com. We welcome any of your comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas, of people that we should be interviewing. That is all goodbye.